if you're too far on the fasting side where you're not eating, if you go back to, let's say, longevity, you right. are actually costing yourself days of where you can be increasing uh, muscle mass. You know, muscle mass is related to at least, you know, anecdotally correlated with uh, grip strength. There's some data on that. And then also lower body strength. And we know people end up with sarcopenia as they get older, right? Loss of muscle tissue. And then we know that for most people to gain lean muscle mass, it's a very long process. So I think trying to figure out where that sort of happy medium is, if let's say longevity is your goal, I right now I'm still more on the functional side than I am convinced we just all need to be doing fasting all the time. But I think there is a, a role for fasting done in a controlled and methodical way. What's up, my friend, and welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I'm your host, celebrity trainer and high-performance health coach, Ted Rice. This is a podcast for men and women who are looking to boost their energy and upgrade their health. So get ready to learn proven health, fitness, and mindset strategies to unlock your full potential. And I have a fantastic guest who's going to be covering topics you just might have a little bit of interest in. For example, are you curious about fasting? Do you wonder about all those claims that people make about fasting? Does it really raise growth hormone and does that really cause fat loss? Does the autophagy that happens during fasting, does it really matter? Is it that big of a deal like some people say or is it more hype? We're going to get into that. Does fasting help you live longer? How about that one? We're going to get into that and more. We're going to get into where that science came from. We're also going to talk about the ketogenic diet, and we're going to talk about something called metabolic flexibility, which is something you've probably never heard before, a term you've never heard before, unless you follow Dr. Mike, and he's going to explain what it is and why it's important and give you something practical that you can take away and start using in your workouts today right after listening to this. We're going to get into all that and more and even some stuff on longevity, the science on longevity. What is proven to help a human being stay alive longer? How are we going to get to that 100 year or 120 year or whatever you know number you happen to be shooting for? How are we going to get there and how are we going to do it in a way where we're still going to be able to enjoy lives and not just sit in the wheelchair and uh, watch everybody you know live life around us? So Really excited to have him on the show. Before we get to the episode, I want to tell you that if you haven't listened or watched my brand new masterclass, you want to check this out. I go into some of the things that we're going to even talk about today on longevity, on how to get more out of your exercise, but how to do it in a way that actually improves your health. So if you've been struggling with pushing yourself in the gym and trying different diets and you don't feel good from doing it, you feel like you're exhausted or you're pushing yourself too hard or you're getting injured or your resting heart rate is too high or your blood pressure isn't coming down like it should even though you are exercising regularly, this is a masterclass that you're not gonna want to miss. And you can find that out at legendarylifepodcast.com slash free. That's legendarylifepodcast.com slash F-R-E-E. So go and check that out now. All right, without further ado, let's get to the episode with Dr. Mike Nelson. Dr. Mike T. Nelson, thanks so much for coming on the show today. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, as I was telling you before we hopped on, uh, I'm a fan of your work. I've been following you for several years now. And what I love about what you do, you're heavily based in the science of things, but also you work with real people. You work with athletes, you work with all different types of people that want and get real world results. And that's who is listening to this podcast today. People who are interested in the best ways to get fit. And if, and if I could say that there's one goal for the majority of people listening, it would be to make it to a hundred, but still be in great shape, right? Whatever that looks like. And um, in other words, it's about longevity. It's not just about looking great. It's not just about performing like some of your athlete clients, but it's about really living life to the fullest and having the ability to do the things that we want to do as we get older in life and still kick ass. Yeah, that sounds good. So before we launch into all the great information you're going to share today, can you talk to the listeners briefly about who you are, why they should listen to you? Yeah, the semi-short version is I was in college for many, many years, did a Bachelor of Arts in Natural Science, and then <clears throat> decided to go into engineering. So I did a two years postgraduate for engineering, did a master's in mechanical engineering after that, and focused more on the biomechanics kind of side. I actually did some testing on a big microwave for uh, monkeys, <laughs> okay. so five years after I got done, my advisor sent me this clipping from a paper that says military declassifies ray gun. He's like, oh, this was your research. I'm like, oh. And he's like, yeah, it was so classified, we couldn't tell you it was classified. I'm like, oh, that's great. So I generated a <laughs> computer model looking at how to zap uh, simulated monkey heads with a big microwave transmitter, but it was in the gigahertz range. What they ended up using it for was, it's called the active denial system. So it's non-lethal crowd dispersion. So you get hit by this thing that's a big microwave transmitter. And because it's in the gigahertz range, the skin penetration depth is really, really shallow. So it lights up all the sympathetic nerve endings on your skin, but doesn't actually cook any of your tissue. Just <laughs> kind of interesting. It's so, a fun fact of, uh, to, that you're sharing with us. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's actually been published. People who need a good nighttime snoozer read, they can find that. So I got done with that, and I actually worked in the medical device company for almost 10 years. So I worked in cardiology products. So after eight years of college, I decided that I was done. And that lasted about two years, started taking more advanced physiology classes, which I did when I did my undergrad and master's anyway, just for fun. I eventually enrolled in a PhD program in biomedical engineering, did that for five years, and then I dropped out of that and went over to the exercise physiology department because I was spending all my free time reading exercise physiology. I would print off the, the testosterone.net, you know, when they had the magazine, when they had the online stuff in like the 90s. And I'd read them over my lunch period and was all excited about that and went to some of the seminars. I, I saw, I know Dr. Chad Waterbury has been on here, saw one of the first seminars he ever did at Charles Staley's place. And eventually I'm like, huh. I'm just going to go do exercise phys. So I uh, went over the exercise physiology department. And initially it was because I got tired of doing math all the time. And ironically, the first day we had a meeting with my advisor in fall, he's like, all right, we have a departmental meeting. He's like, hey, we got two new projects. Uh, one's on heart rate variability and one's on metabolic flexibility. And they both involve math. 
And he looks around the table at like the seven grad students at that time. And he points at me and he's like, hey, you, you math boy, whatever your name is, these are your projects. <laughs> so That's that right. Was, Biomedical engineering background. Yep. Right. Because most people who take exercise phys don't really take much of any math. It's just not really a requirement unless you're doing some hardcore you know, biomechanics and stuff like that. But you know, even then, it's it's more limited. You don't take you know calc one through four and advanced differential equations and Bessel equations and blah blah blah. Um, so that's how I ended up getting into that as a formal research area almost twelve years ago. And then so right now, I work with some clients online. I designed a certification for trainers, which is just flex diet uh, certification. I'm a faculty member at the Kerrig Institute. They primarily do uh, functional neurology. And then I'm helping them with their human performance program there. And then I'm also an adjunct at the University of, it's actually Georgia Southern University, and then also Rocky Mountain University, where I teach online for both of them currently. Wow. Yeah. So in other words, you're, you've got the best of both worlds. You have this, uh, this, this background in physiology, and you have this approach from your engineering background where you probably look at things in terms of systems and how systems work instead of how I guess a lot of the the scientific reductionism works at least in America where everybody's looking at one little aspect either they're just looking at the nutrition or they're just looking at the training or you know is that a a, a fair assessment of uh, what you do or how you approach things? Yeah, much more on the system side. I mean, I can go in-depth in some areas, but I'm definitely not the best person once you start getting down to a lot of the, the uber-mechanistic stuff. And I mean, I agree to some degree science by nature, especially in exercise phys, tends to be very reductionist. And there's a time and a place for that. But I think there's a missing need for more uh, systems engineering. And there's been a lot better work done in that area in the last five, 10 years. So I always look at how my background is, how can you look at as fine a detail as you need to to understand it? And I'm fortunate that I can call up a lot of people and be like, hey, what's this, you know, give me the rundown of mTOR1 and sat through a class that was a whole quarter on that that I don't remember a lot from. But then how does that integrate with neurology? How does that integrate with cardiovascular? How does that integrate with nutrition? How does that integrate with you know, hypertrophy. You know, I would say I'm not an expert in any of those areas at all, but, you know, knowing enough to know what you know and what you don't know, and then where are the overlaps if you're to draw this kind of massive Venn diagram, which is in the middle is the human, because all those things are going to overlap. And I find that with some clients, it may be something, you know, specific in neurology, or it may be something else that they need. So trying to figure out what are the highest uh, leverage points for them. And then also on the education side, you know, what are things and concepts that people need to know about that maybe they're they're not learning yet. And I think that's a great place to dive in. I mean, I want to ask you about fasting, the ketogenic diet, yeah. metabolic flexibility, but let's start with this, this concept where you know how it is, Mike. We we both deal with a lot of the same people, you know, the the people who hire us. And what do you see as the pieces of the puzzle that are missing for people when they're coming to you and they want coaching, they want, they want a body transformation or to perform a bit better or to live to 100 
or to overcome injuries? What is it that they're missing in your perspective? Yeah, it could be a lot of things. I think at the the top is an overall systemic view of what's going on. Because I think fitness in general tends to be very myopic. And I get that, you know, the the goals that people have, you know, maybe living to a hundred and being able to play with their kids or or whatever are kind of very specific. And that's definitely a good thing. But then we have to back up and see what are the other things that help drive that right so if we take let's say longevity right we know kind of from trials the top three things for longevity are grip strength lower body strength and aerobic capacity so if you have someone who which we'll get into probably is doing a super hardcore fasting and read an earthworm study and wants to slash their calories by 60 percent and live the rest of their life that way yeah if you were an earthworm then there's some pretty good data to support that but at the human level you're probably going to be costing you possibly a aerobic performance, depending on how much you can train. It's definitely going to cost you, especially low protein, going to cost you lower body strength and probably grip strength. So you're kind of missing the things that you wanted to target. So what I do is I have a series of assessments that I run people through. And ironically, the assessments are relatively similar because I kind of get you know people that have you know sort of similar goals. And then we may emphasize one of them. And then we are also looking to see which one is completely just horrible and maybe holding them back. So if you want to be, I've got a guy who's uh, trying out to, you know, hopefully qualify for the CrossFit Games. Super strong guy, you know, very big engine, but his aerobic base comparative to other people who are at the level he wants to be at, not the greatest. Resting heart rate, in my opinion, is probably on the high side. Now, again, from mm. a general population, what is his resting heart rate? It's in the high 50s to low 60s, uh, seated first thing in the morning. So it's not bad. I mean, by most general health standpoints, you'd be like, that's okay. That's pretty good. But then you look at the demographic of people that he would potentially be competing against. You know, in the testing I've seen, they're 37 to 43, (laughs) you know. Wow. So pretty big difference there. Um, So again, it depends on the demographic and it depends on where you want to go. I think having someone who is, you know, much to hate the word expert, but, you know, who spends their time in that area and can look and find those things and then provide you a, a roadmap to get there. Um, the analogy I use is, you know, my CPA is very anal retentive about reading the tax code. Like he literally sits down and reads it. It bores me to tears, but I can sit down and pay for an hour of his time and be like, all right. This coming year, what do I need to do? Okay, why do I need to do this and that? And you can explain it to me in terms that make sense. And I don't need to know the infinite amount of, of details, but I need to know enough in order to to do the thing that I need to do. And I, in essence, at some level, trust him and his expertise. And I think that's what you know, trainers and coaches, I think, are the best at providing. Because that's what they do for a living. That's their main thing. And, you know, everyone can't be an expert in, in all things at the same time. Well, preaching to the choir here, we, we've talked a lot about coaching on the podcast. And basically, you know, a lot of people are making online fitness and nutrition researcher their second job. When sure. it's, it's just like, you shouldn't do it because I've been in this business for nearly 20 years and it's taken me so long to separate fact from fiction and uh, now it's easier than ever uh, if you know what to look for, if you have a background in science and, and have the people like you around 
Mike, but for a lot of people, they just get sucked into, hey, put butter in your coffee and yeah. eat more fat to burn fat and just do fasting because fasting raises growth hormone and growth hormone helps you build, uh, uh, burn fat because you know fat loss is all about hormones and, and not you know calories or anything ridiculously you know mundane like that and uh, then people get you know I had clients who who got fat eating uh, a ketogenic diet and they didn't understand that okay yeah you're 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 burning fat but you are also storing fat especially if you're eating too much and that that's not going to help you even if your insulin levels are low and you're you know doing intermittent fasting or fasting 24 hours once a week and you know boosting that growth hormone it it doesn't ultimately translate into the results that you want could we dive into fasting a little bit sure Okay, and, and you opened up with the, the best example where even one of my clients back in, um, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago brought this up and when I was still doing personal training and he talked about fasting and he was obsessive about caloric restriction and because it's been proven to extend life, but obviously he missed the part, right, in the the CNN article or the whatever, you know, the whatever publication. (laughs) Exactly. It was about an earthworm. Can you talk to us about some of the big claims about fasting and help clear those up for people? The healing, fasting for healing, autophagy, and longevity? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I'm actually doing a full almost basically two-day seminar in Vancouver coming up in February on this. So I'm in the process of, again, going through all the literature, like I'm actually going all the way back to the earthworms and all the way through. So the how I got into fasting, so I've actually been doing intermittent fasting off, and say, mostly on for probably almost 10 years now. Uh, the first book I ever read was uh, Brad Pilon's Eat, Stop, Eat. Uh, oh, yeah. A buddy of mine at the time started doing this fasting I remember we're sitting at Subway, and he's telling me this. We were at some training in Arizona, and I'm like, what? This is crazy. I'm like, dude, you're a big dude. Like, all the muscle is going to fall off your body. It's going to yep. be completely catabolic, you know, because I was reading a lot of the studies on protein synthesis, and, you know, at the time, I'll admit, I read a lot of the muscle magazines and things of that nature, and he's like, no, I haven't really lost any muscle. It's been going great. I'm like, huh. So at the time, I did some more research. I ended up buying Brad's uh, book at the time, pulled all the original references and everything, and spent about the next six months just reading them. I'm like, oh, so it doesn't appear all your muscle is going to fall off within one day. Maybe I should try this. So I was back in Arizona for some training about six months after, and I said, okay, finish the training on Sunday night. I said, all right, I'm going to do my 24-hour fast on Monday. And I got to about noon at that time, and... I felt horrible. I ran across the street mm. to the the Chinese buffet and was there for a couple of, <laughs> a couple hours. <laughs> and at the time, you know, I had been very into eating about every two to three hours, and that was based on a lot of you know early stuff from Dr. John Brardy, who's been on here. And I was very much the you know six foot three, hundred and fifty six pounds, you know, in college, you know, eel shaped rake person. So that type of approach, you know, worked really well. But I had done that for, at that point, almost like eight years. 
So for me to go for a long period of time without food is, you know, very stressful. So I tried it again, same thing result, same thing result. I'm like, oh, this fasting is stupid. I knew it was dumb. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Like, other than being asleep during the day, you know, I really don't go more than three, maybe four hours at the very most without food. You know, that'd be like coming into my garage gym and be like, hey, you've never deadlifted before. Ah, screw it. Let's just put 405 on it and I'll just yell at you to try harder if you can't make it. You know, it's like right. way too much of an extreme, you know, unless you're you know, Andy Bolton in high school, it's just not going to happen. So then I'm like, wait a minute. Well, what if I have people do it once a week and I only push out their fasting time by about one to two hours? So I did that with some clients and they're like, oh, pretty much everyone could get 19 to 24 hours within about six to eight weeks. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I ended up just kind of doing that for a lot of performance body comp people for many years. And then within the last couple of years, all of a sudden fasting started becoming very, I guess, kind of in vogue um, again. And the things that I do like about fasting is, to my shock, once people were adapted to it, I found it was easier than trying to have them do a very low caloric day. I don't Mm. know the exact mechanism of that, but I've tried it on myself and I've tried it on a bunch of clients where it was easy for them to not eat for a period of time. I like doing it just only once a week. Then it was for them to say, okay, let's have you have do a really low caloric day. It seemed like once they started eating, even if it was just protein or some other things, for most people, it was hard for them to stay very low. They just felt more hungry. So I've experienced the same thing, yeah. Yeah, and and maybe because it's just, you know, at some level, you're obviously cognitively overriding your appetite. And if it's simple, like, okay, don't eat anything till X time is easier than, well, I had one cookie and a chicken breast was okay. And broccoli, there's not many, you know, carbs and broccoli. And I think maybe it just gets too confusing otherwise. So that was good. And then most people could do it if I would took the progressive approach. And what I also found is that from kind of an empowerment standpoint, people could realize that, oh, I have the option of just not eating. Oh, okay, that's kind of cool. I didn't realize that. Oh, and I can do it. So that works well. Where I think a lot of it went off the rails, and I had a little prediction on Facebook probably three, four years ago that as fasting was becoming more popular, it would turn into basically just another pissing match. Of hey, (laughs) I did 24 hours. Oh, screw you. I did 48. Dude, I did seven days. You know, just in fitness, we would have to make the extreme out of like everything. And, you know, fasting is no exception uh, with that. So for my biases, and you can get into time restricted feeding and alternate day fasting, and there's all different forms. I remember going to experimental biology two years ago, and Dr. Krista Verde was doing a presentation on a literature review of intermittent fasting. I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, she's done a lot of really awesome research and sat right down in the front row. And by the second slide, I was like solely disappointed because if you type in intermittent fasting into PubMed, there is multiple different methods of fasting. So she was trying to make, and she did a good job, heads or tails out of, you know, what if it's an alternate day fast? What if it's a 5-2? What if it's this? What if it's that? And it's been fractionated into so many sort of subcategories, it makes it harder to try to figure out what's actually going on. Right. So 
And last part too. What was she teaching? She was only teaching one form or she was just saying you can't get anything from the information because it's all different types of fasting. Yeah, that was her conclusion. And she's done a lot of very cool research on alternate day fasting. And her conclusion at the end was based on the limited data and the fact that there's so many different types, it's almost impossible at that point to really reach any type of conclusion. So we need more studies on a specific type of fasting to try to reach a conclusion on that type. And then maybe or maybe not, that'll translate into another type of fasting. And then the other bugaboo too, if you get into like autophagy, right? So autophagy is kind of a cellular cleaning house where you're not consuming any calories. So your body will kind of break down some of the misshapen and misfolded proteins. And that is true. It does happen. Um, we do know that a protein, or specifically leucine, will kind of slow that process down. So molecularly, you want to increase something called AMPK, and you want to limit something called mTOR, a mammalian target of rapamycin, or what's used for sort of building up of tissue. The confusing part is we don't really know yet how that's useful And like all things, it's probably a sliding scale where, yeah, if I did 12 hours, do I see some autophagy? Sure. If I do 24, do I see more? Yep. If I do 48, do I see even more? Yeah. But we don't know for what specific things, what time period is going to be best. And then it's also species uh, dependent. So if you look at rats, it's probably not the same as humans from what I can ascertain so far. So a lot of these people who are you know, using that as their main claim, there is some uh, truth to it. And uh, Walter Longo's got some very interesting stuff on that also. But I think we're just very much on the bleeding edge of you know, how useful is that uh, for most people. And then keep in mind that just like a pendulum, if you're too far on the fasting side where you're not eating, if you go back to, let's say, longevity you right. are actually costing yourself days of where you can be increasing uh, muscle mass. We know muscle mass is related to at least, you know, anecdotally correlated with uh, grip strength. There's some data on that. And then also lower body strength. And we know people end up with sarcopenia as they get older, right? Loss of muscle tissue. And then we know that for most people to gain lean muscle mass, it's a very long process. So, I think we're trying to figure out where that sort of happy medium is. If let's say longevity is your goal, I right now I'm still more on the, the functional side than I am convinced we just all need to be doing fasting all the time. But I think there is a, a role for fasting done in a controlled and methodical way. Yeah, well, well stated and uh, you know, well argued. I have a very selfish question that I want yeah. to ask, and uh, I have actually a friend of mine. He's uh, you know one of the top personal development guys in the world, Peter Sage, and he was he just injured himself, and and he was like uh, doing the, this bike ride in in the dark, and his things his light went out. He ended oh, up wow. uh, having an accident, and he he's using fasting for healing, and that's not the first time I've heard that. I, are you familiar with the snake diet guy? For, yeah, sadly, I right. am. <laughs> sadly, exactly. He makes claims about healing AIDS or HIV. Wow. I forget which, or or the herpes virus, or you know, 
with, with fasting, which, you know, the guy's completely insane. And, but, but he makes claims about it. And I've seen people in his group because someone added me to the group, unfortunately, but I stayed in it just to watch the, uh, reality <laughs> show train wreck, you know, fasting I, anyway. So I've read a couple articles. People send me some articles on how fasting can reset the immune system. I don't even remember if I read it or not because it was just such a crazy claim because I don't like to read information like that. I like to speak to people like you who actually know what the hell they're talking about. It. And, and because you've done your due diligence, you've looked into the research, you've seen what we know, and you can also extrapolate better about, well, okay, well, this might there might be something here, but we're not sure. Any truth to the fasting for healing or in anything regarding that? Yeah, from what I can put together, again, I'm doing uh, even more literature review on this coming up, is there is some truth to that on the basis of autophagy. Uh, like, again, Walter Longo is probably the main guy on that. He's got a like a prolong, which is kind of a reduced calorie reduced protein type diet that he has used with people and mm -hmm. i have talked to people who have done it and appears to help with some things it's basically like kind of a modified seven day fast and there is some interesting data on uh, stem cell regeneration things of that nature but again i always go back to what is the injury and what is the mechanism because if we go like super basic right if you have an extreme case of someone where they're, let's say, a burn patient, right? Burn patients uh, will be extremely catabolic. The biggest problem is the amount of tissue that's been damaged is massive. It's been pretty well established if you get over a percentage that your odds of surviving are almost basically nil. Um, so they have a massive amount of tissue wasting because their metabolic rate, everything is so accelerated, their body is trying to heal as best that it can, but it has a limited resources. So in something like that, fasting would be utterly horrible. Like it has the inverse problem. We can't get enough calories. They've even played around with you know insulin and, and even anabolic steroids, things of that nature. Uh, muscle wasting from like cachexia, things of that nature. Some of that is compounded by, you know, nausea from drugs and, and things so they can't eat. But if you get to the other end of the spectrum and you're looking something like a TBI, so traumatic brain injury, there's some interesting data that fasting or a ketogenic diet might be useful. If you take a really bad whack to the head, your glucose metabolism gets instantly screwed up mm. and your brain has a massive energy crisis. And in essence, it becomes very insensitive to using glucose, which is the main fuel. Um, also, there's data to show that your blood-brain barrier actually opens up. So all the things that the blood-brain barrier was trying to keep out can flood in. So your neuroinflammation you know, goes sky high, things of that nature. So you could potentially argue that fasting by trying to push someone into maybe a ketogenic state sooner... Right, so ketones have the ability to have you know some neuroinflammation modulation effects in and of themselves. Uh, Dr. Don D'Agostino's done some stuff on that, and they also provide an alternative fuel, uh, primarily BHB, so beta hydroxybutyrate, possibly some of the other ketones too, so that they can potentially ameliorate some of that energy crisis that the brain is seeing. Um, so 
maybe fasting in that case might be beneficial to try to um, increase tissue healing. Uh, there's some other uh, compounds that may help with that too, like hemp oil, cannabinoids, things like that may help too. So I think it depends on what is the what injury. What about musculoskeletal injuries, Mike? Usually with those, it's my gut feeling and from all the data I've seen is that I don't know why I would want to be that catabolic. Um, mm, yeah. If I have an athlete that's injured, and they've done studies where the more tissue you injure, the more your energy need is going to go up. So if I have an athlete who's been injured, usually the first thing we'll discuss is, you know, once they, you know, get what they're doing for rehab and all that stuff, you know, figured out if they need to see the doctor, whatever. But from a nutrition side, the first discussion I have with them is, hey, okay, how soon do you need to get back to where you want to be? And if they're like, hey, I got this, you know, competition that's in, you know, 12 to 16 weeks. All right, cool. Are you okay adding some body fat during that period of time? Because my bias right now is that I will probably err on the side of overfeeding them where their body comp may actually get a little bit worse than trying to restrict calories because I believe that's potentially going to prolong the healing time. If mm. it's someone who does not have to be back and compete on X day, it's kind of their own personal choice. I destroyed my ankle, oh man, probably in 2005 on a snowboarding incident. And unfortunately, I did it two days before I booked myself a trip to learn how to windsurf in the Caribbean. And it was a 10-day non-refundable trip. So oh, no. I got back home, went to the orthopedics office, a good buddy that I knew, told him what I did. And he's like, okay, well, we'll do everything we can. And luckily, you know, within you know, 15 weeks, it was healed enough where I didn't re-injure it. But during that time, I ended up gaining probably around seven pounds. It wasn't massive, but I'm like, I'm going to go on this trip. I'm going to do everything I can to increase tissue healing. And if that means that I'm in a slight caloric excess, right? And a lot of times you can't do as much exercise. I'll err on that side because once I'm healthy and once I can move around again, it won't take me that long to lose seven pounds, maybe a couple months, something like that. So that's kind of my bias right now that I muscle skeletal stuff. I don't, can't really see a good reason why being in a caloric deficit would be good. You could get really fancy and then argue that, well, maybe some days of fasting and maybe some days of caloric surplus might be, you, you might be helpful. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen any, any data that's even looked at that yet, to be honest. Interesting. And uh, what, what about for chronic injuries? Because what comes to mind right now is, uh, you know, you brought up some great points about the TBIs and, and about acute injuries and your ankle, that type of thing. And a lot of people who are listening to the show, they, they have and pretty much every single client that I work with, too, has some type of chronic injury. And I, yeah. I have some myself, unfortunately. And you kind of wonder, like, okay, well, what type of nutrition should be going on to help heal that? And would fasting help? Would caloric deficit help and you know is autophagy perhaps beneficial in that situation and another thing that comes to mind is someone who maybe has excess body fat we know that excess body fat is linked with inflammation levels 
could that be something that could be uh, stopping people from from healing and keeping something chronic just because of excessive systemic inflammation? Yeah, I think with chronic injuries, you could make an argument that fasting may be beneficial. Um, we do know that tissue turnover rates are going to go up. We do know that if there there is some level of autophagy, so we're kind of tearing down those like proteins and other structures that are not as useful. How I kind of view it in my brain is, so let's say you've got a, a chronic elbow soft tissue injury. It's not bad enough to see a physical therapist. My thought is, okay, how can I get that tissue to remodel? So years ago, I had this idea that if I can locally increase the catabolic uh, sort of events and also increase the anabolic events, in theory, I can turn over that tissue faster and replace it with the kind of newer, better tissue that might be more suited to the task, right? So if you start looking at tendinopathies and tendinosis, tendinosis is more of a scrambling of some of the collagen and connective tissue. Tendonitis is generally more of a inflammation type reaction. So with something like that, I'll look at uh, eccentric uh, lifting. I'll look at possibly having days of lower calories or even lower protein. And then I'll look at, is there something that can accelerate soft tissue recovery? Right now, there's some very cool data from Dr. Shaw and Dr. Keith Barr uh, using a dose of gelatin or even collagen 40 to 60 minutes before exercise, small amount of vitamin C too. And then when you do the exercise from they've done this on engineered tissues, it appears to create stronger connective tissue. Now, they don't know if that's because of the increased amount of blood flow from the exercise, or is it when you exercise, you're stimulating that soft tissue. But they have shown some interesting data that about 15 grams of collagen or gelatin taken 40 to 60 minutes before exercise can help with soft tissue injuries. And it appears that that will last for around six hours. So in some clients, I've got a client in Australia who's got, she's had her Achilles heel repaired twice now. And she's Ooh. competed in the, the Arnold and the female uh, strong, I guess it's still called strong men, but it was a female division. And so we've been doing some stuff with having her do collagen, do some very light loading of that tissue in the morning and then collagen gelatin before her kind of weight training type stuff. So I think things like that can be uh, useful. And with fat loss, the hardest part about fasting and trying to differentiate is it does appear to reduce inflammation. And then I'm like, okay, so if that's true, let's assume it's true. Why? What's the mechanism of that? And it's really hard to sort out because when you're doing fasting on that particular day, let's say for simple math, it's a 24-hour day, you're one in a massive caloric deficit, right? So we know that autophagy can also be regulated by a caloric deficit. Uh, we do know that you whatever was kind of things your body didn't like or other things that was you know causing your immune system to go a bit wonky or whatever, those have been removed because you didn't eat anything. So is it maybe that you're removing something that was an irritant to some level? And that's what makes the research really hard to kind of sort out. So I have had some people do that, and they appear to be better. 
And again, like we said at the beginning, you're also it's an easy way to you know cut out a whole chunk of calories from their diet, and they tend not to miss it as much either. So a lot of times I'll give people the choice of you know hey we can you know have you work up to one longer day of fasting see how you like it, and your other days you know you can probably eat a few more calories or. If you utterly hate fasting, I think it's the stupidest idea you've ever heard of in your life. Yeah, then if fat loss is your goal, you're, you're probably enough to lower your calories a few bit more on the other days. For me personally, I like doing one longer day of fasting, and then I get to eat a little bit more on the other days. But again, it's the nice part is it's it's flexible, so you can kind of go more off of their preference too. Yeah, great information there, and I'm glad you brought up Dr. Keith Bars. Research. Uh, I've had a lot of success taking 15 grams of collagen an, an hour before yeah. my rehab routine when, when I jacked my back up and uh, my knee got better and some of my other injuries also felt better as well. And yeah, uh, it, it's just one of those things that just, uh, yeah, it's easy to do and seems to be getting great results both in the real world and uh, has some scientific evidence to back it up as well. And speaking of Keith Barr and ketogenic diets and what you're into or and what you teach metabolic flexibility, I was listening to Keith Barr talk about how doing a ketogenic diet long-term, probably not a great idea, right? But he mentioned that perhaps doing a day or two during the week, it can help with mitochondrial biogenesis. It, it can be a really good thing to do in terms of longevity if you're having trouble getting in, say, enough aerobic exercise. And I, I immediately, when I heard that, I immediately thought about you and metabolic flexibility. So I know we're really short on time here. You've got another call coming up. And we could easily spend an hour talking about metabolic flexibility, but could we just give a teaser and perhaps maybe we can do a follow-up episode later to talk more about some of the things that we had planned to go over, but sure. you know, took an interesting turn and, and I, you, know, uh, you, you shared some great information. So can you talk a little bit about metabolic flexibility? Because so people are so extreme when it comes to nutrition, either you're low fat or you're low carb or you're ketogenic or you're paleo, but thinking, oh, well, maybe I can use glycolysis or, or carbohydrates to fuel, uh, like I'm trying to say, figure out like intense training, we'll say that, to not get too nerdy, and then use fat to fuel like more low intensity, longer duration exercise. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um so metabolic flexibility is how well your body can use both carbohydrates and fat. A lot of the fitness world is like, oh, fat's the best fuel ever. No, your performance is going to suck. Carbohydrates are the best ever. And the reality is humans use both like all the time. <laughs> so it, <laughs> right. it seems like a very bizarre argument to me. Um, but it depends on what you are trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're trying to go to the gym and lift heavy weights, carbohydrates are going to be your friend. If you're just kind of hanging out like we're doing this podcast, you don't really need to be burning through massive amounts of carbohydrates. I would argue that 
you know, spinning glycolysis at a high rate at rest is a metabolic nightmare for all sorts of reasons. And there's some cardiac research to support that. that as the heart starts failing and gets close to heart failure, you see these energy systems start dropping offline and it runs into all sorts of issues. So metabolic flexibility is how well can you use fat on the left end of the spectrum? How well can you use carbohydrates on the right end of the spectrum? And then how well can you switch back and forth between those two depending upon what's going on? So if you just eat you know, two Pop-Tarts, yeah, being able to burn carbohydrates at that point is going to be a good thing, right? You're going to burn most of the fuel that came in. And then for body composition, while it's eh, it's kind of a gray area, and I think especially for health, being able to use more fat at rest is going to be beneficial. And we know from some studies, Gadecki did one, Helges did one, I did one, that how well people use fat at rest is highly variable. Uh, so just pulling people off of the street and recreational athletes uh, at rest and low intensity exercise, how well they'll use fat varies from 20 to 93%. Meaning wow. some people are pretty good at it. Other people are pretty horrible at it. So I think especially for health, that's not a good thing. And so what uh, Dr. Keith Barr was saying is that you could make an argument of maybe doing a ketogenic type diet one day during the week to upregulate the body's use of fat as a fuel uh, may be beneficial. My bias on that is I think just doing fasting is going to be way easier. And most people, unless they're extremely experienced with a ketogenic diet, will not get significant levels of BHB within one day of doing a ketogenic diet. I think, I know that, uh, Dan Party has said this too, which I agree with, maybe taking two to four weeks out of the year, if your goal is metabolic health to do some type of ketogenic diet, I think you could make a pretty good argument that that may be useful from a health perspective. Again, depending upon if it's an athlete and what their goals are. I like to use fasting and I like to combine aerobic training on the same day. So what am I doing? By fasting, it is true that it does push insulin levels lower, which acutely does upregulate the body's use of fat as a fuel and that you're burning through more fat doing your low to moderate intensity exercise. Now, you could do a whole podcast. Does that really benefit uh, fat loss? Yeah. It's only been five or six studies that have looked at that. Only one of them really directly, yeah, probably not. Um, but I think from metabolic health, that's a benefit. Uh, aerobic performance probably goes up a little bit. And I think with fasting, the other part too, and Keith Barr talked about this also, there's less downregulation of an enzyme called PDH, so pyruvate dehydrogenase. And all the listeners need to know is that that's kind of the the gatekeeper to glycolysis. So in short, if you take someone on a ketogenic diet for a long period of time, and then you just give them a boatload of carbohydrates, you refill their glycogen stores, and then you test them on a higher intensity performance, they'll still lose between, you know, like two to 9% of their performance, even though they have carbohydrates present. It's because over time, they kind of lost part of that carbohydrate metabolism on the ultra high end when they were doing the ketogenic approach. Now, that's not permanent and that will come back. But if you're a very high level performance athlete, losing a single digit percentage is freaking massive. What's fascinating, though, is if you do fasting, 
because it's probably such a short period of time, so like say 24 hours for one day, and unless you're doing a boat ton of muscular work, which I would not recommend on that day, muscle glycogen doesn't really get depleted that much. And what we see is mm. that there's not much of a change in this PDH enzyme. So in English, all that means is like a simple template I'll have athletes and clients do is maybe Monday is your fasting day, work up to 19 to 24 hours, do some aerobic training during that day, low intensity, and then we could come back Tuesday and give you 300 grams of carbohydrates and have you do a heavy weightlifting session and be perfectly fine from a performance standpoint. I still get all the benefits of fasting that I would have gotten from a ketogenic type diet. So I'm not a big fan of targeted or cyclic ketogenic diets. I don't think they work all that well. I think some people see results from them because they are kind of changing what they've done before. But pushing and pulling the body in and out of ketosis is very hard. And most of the athletes who get away doing it have been doing a ketogenic diet for usually, again, it's anecdotal, but years. Mm. Just that have that experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you have a call coming up and, and I think that's a good place to end things and just to leave a little teaser there. Uh, we'd love to get you back and yeah, to dive sure. into more of this, this information because, you know, it's just great hearing from someone like you. My job is to get better information out to the people who are following those personalities who have done great marketing, but really aren't the ones who we want to be learning from. So <laughs> yeah. on that note, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, Mike, I, I, again, we, we've got to do a follow-up soon and, and talk more about this metabolic flexibility. I know people are really interested and you pique their curiosity. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about Dr. Mike or perhaps hiring him to do some coaching, looking at his programs and services, go to MikeTNelson.com. So it's M-I-K-E-T-N-E-L-S-O-N.com. And, uh, Check out what he's got going on. He's got some interviews up there and uh, some free downloads, some things that you can check out if you want to learn more about this metabolic flexibility. And if you're a fitness professional and you happen to be listening, he has a certification on this as well, something that you can use with your clients and um, avoid those, those extreme um, stances when it comes to nutrition. Mike, thanks so much for being on. Is there any other place where you'd like the listeners to connect with you? No, best place is uh, MikeTNelson.com. And at the top of the page there, there'll be a little opt-in and get a free gift. And that'll put you on the newsletter. And most of my content now goes through the newsletter. It's it's free to hop on. So yeah, MikeTNelson.com, go to the top there. And if they have questions, they can just hit me up through there. Excellent. Well, Mike, thanks again. It's a pleasure finally to connect with you. And I really appreciate your sharing of your uh, knowledge, your wisdom, and most importantly, your time. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me on here. I, I really appreciate it. This was fun, and I look forward to coming back on again in the future. Excellent. Let's do it soon. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed Dr. Mike's approach 
how he showed up today and shared his knowledge and his wisdom and how he helped clear up some of the myths that we have about what we hear in the, not really in the media, right? Although sometimes we hear it in the media, but it's mostly from these fitness guru people, these people who have a lot of people following them, but really they're more marketing and less actual science. And why is that important? Why do we care about science? Who cares about science? Research is so boring. Science is so boring. Ugh. Well, this is why we care because what if I told you, you can make a million dollars only you know, doing this particular thing and then you did it and you didn't make any money. In fact, you know, nothing happened at all. You actually lost money and you didn't make that money back. Well, that's kind of like what's going on in health and fitness. People sell you a good game. They, they sell you, they know how to sell you. They know how to package it with flashy visual visuals with the right copy. In fact, it's not even called writing. It's called copy. It's called copywriting, right? That's writing to sell you something, writing to convince you something. And I don't disagree with that. And I, I do that myself, right? I want to properly present the things that I believe in, but at the same time, it can be used to manipulate you. And that's what I find so many people, they go down this road where, oh, I'm going to fast because I'm going to live longer because of fasting. And it's like, mm, only if you're an earthworm. <laughs> so that's the type of thing that I like to do with this show to get people on, to help you get clear on what the truth is. Do you want the truth? I want the truth. And I'll tell you, it drives me. I mean, I've got plenty of clients and I've got a waiting list starting to develop here. I'm not trying to sell you $10 eBooks to a million people here. I, I don't care about that. What I want to do is I want to get the right information and I want to get it out there for you. And I also want to get it for myself. And that's why I choose who I choose to have on this show. And I hope you respect that. I hope you appreciate that. And sometimes these people come on, these experts come on, and sometimes we don't get the answers that we really want to hear, right? That if we just fast 24 hours once a week, that we're going to make it to our 175th birthday. But I'd rather have the truth. That's what adults should want, in my opinion, right? You want the truth. You want what works. You're willing to do the work. You don't want to buy into the pipe dream. You want the stuff that really works. And that's how I am. And if that resonates with you, then you are listening to the right podcast. And by the way, if this is your first time listening, make sure you click that subscribe button on wherever you listen to this podcast. And lastly, if you are having trouble with your own approach to health and fitness, maybe you're getting exhausted by your routine. Maybe exercise right now is another stress to your already stressful life. Maybe your heart rate, your resting heart rate is in the high 70s or even the 80s. Maybe your blood pressure is a bit on the high side. Maybe you're pre-hypertensive or full-blown hypertensive. Maybe you have to take medication even though you eat well and you regularly exercise. And if you're in that situation where you're being, you're, you're still having these health issues pop up, the high blood pressure, the high resting heart rate, uh, high blood sugar, are you having issues with your joints working out? Well, this masterclass is going to clear things up for you. It's gonna get you super clear on how to be health driven with your workout and 
exercise, a really healthy lifestyle plan instead of just saying, oh, well, I'm going to add high intensity interval training and then I'm going to lift some weights and then I'm going to do keto and then I'm going to cut the carbs and I'm, you know, I'm going to do this, the cabbage soup diet. If you're taking that approach and it's beating you up and you're not seeing results on top of it, or you're seeing results, but you're also feeling like this is not something I can sustain long-term. Then what I want you to do is go to legendarylifepodcast.com slash free and check out my new masterclass. It's going to help you get clear on the things that you need to do to get better results and to feel good from what you do. I feel great and I want you to feel great too. So I've put together this masterclass to share my knowledge with you. So again, go to legendarylightpodcast.com slash free and you can watch my masterclass there. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. I hope you got clear on some of the claims that are being made. And most importantly, I hope you have an amazing week and I'll speak to you soon.